Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I wouldn't mind having that all over again. <laughs> Turn if you, No, I'm going to go ahead and preach. Thank you. First uh, Kings chapter 15. First Kings chapter 15 is where we are this morning. Uh, and I want us to think about this topic, the thing, the thing. First Kings chapter 15. What a, what a wonderful uh, choir today and instrumental music and everything was beautiful. Uh, they do a lot of work trying to get all this stuff together. I tell you, and I praise the Lord for it. We get to enjoy the beauty of their work. First Kings chapter 15. Uh, if you would stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and to turn not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save or only, except only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Let me just give you one other scripture. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's actually the story of David and, 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 and Bathsheba. But in verse 27 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, the Bible says this. When the morning was passed, that's when Uriah had died and the morning passed after the seven days, David sent and fetched her, Bathsheba, to his house. She became his wife, bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing. Father, this morning... Would you speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus? God, we need you now more than ever. I ask you, Lord Jesus, start right here in this place today. I pray you would awaken our city, our church, our families. Lord, many of them have grown complacent. COVID has done a number, and Lord, we've danced all around it. The bottom line is the devil's just got folks out of the Lord's house, and it's hard for them to get back in. Lord, I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll put an unction in them that they'll not be satisfied just to sit and watch. Lord, I, I, I know you can do all things. We're trusting you do something special today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, we covered a little bit of this Wednesday night, but there were two or three of y'all not here. So I want to kind of go over it again and make sure we're all on the same page. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of talk today about leaving a legacy. People want to leave a legacy. Well, I got some good news for you. Everybody in this place is going to leave a legacy. The deal is whether it's a good legacy or a bad legacy, but you will leave a legacy. I look here in the scripture that we've read in 1 Kings chapter 15, and I find, first of all, the Bible said in verse 3, he walked in all the sins of his father. That's not a great testimony. That's not a great testimony. And he says, which he had done before him. His heart was not perfect before God. Uh, today, I, I know 
And listen, don't, don't, if you're watching this by live stream, don't send any email. I already know I'm due one, so go, to, you know, just don't send it. Everybody's talking about, well, I'm the way I am because of my daddy. I'm the way I am because of my mama. I'm the way I am because of the way I was raised. I, I went to school and it was this way, and that's what it, listen to me. What we need today is some people who will be overcomers, who would say today, I didn't have a perfect family. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have the opportunities. But bless God, I've got today and the rest of my life to make those opportunities. You don't have to sit here and worry about the past. God is more interested in your future than he is in your past. There's forgiveness at the cross. He, he said, I, I, he walked in the sense. And then, whoo, number four. Nevertheless. He's walking in sin. He's disobedient to God. But God said, nevertheless, because of David, I'm going to bless you. I wonder in this place this morning, how many folk are sitting here blessed today because somebody else praying over you. And you think you're all right with God. And God's saying, you're doing this wrong. You've got this thing in your life. You've got a thing here. I don't know what your thing is. It may be pornography. It may be uh, lust. It may be robbery, cheating. It may be, uh, it may be listening to the wrong kind of music. You young people who are listening to this rot on the, tele on the uh, phone you got and the, and the radios you got, you ought to be ashamed to even let that junk come into your ears. And you parents need to learn every once in a while what they're listening to. Well, I didn't get many amens there, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> Y'all stay with me or I'll drag this thing out to a four-week study course. <laughs> I, I don't know what your thing is, but God said, you've walked wrong, you're living in sin. Nevertheless, because of David, I'm going to bless you. Wow. And then, and then you, you read that. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Hey, that's not the only sin David did. Why did he bring that one out? I know over in Chronicles he committed a sin. God told him don't uh, number the people, don't census the people, and he did anyway. And his, his, uh, his man in charge there said, David, you're not supposed to do this. God's not worried about numbers. God's worried about individual people. Hey, the numbers aren't important here this morning. What's important is your relationship to Jesus Christ. I don't care if there's 10 or if there's 1,000. It doesn't make any difference. Your relationship's what's important. Only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Several years ago, it's been, it's been over 18 years now, this July, Becky and I uh, were leaving Port Arthur. We were on our way to Colorado. We had a wonderful future ahead of us. Uh, we were going to Parker, Colorado. I sat there in the director uh, of evangelism's office in Denver, and he had a four-by-eight board of the, of the map of Denver, and he handed me a dart, and he said, you can throw a dart anywhere you want to, and you can start a church. Three and a half million people at that time with 26 churches. And uh, so, uh, I mean, you know, we, we had a school rented. I had a guy that owned several car dealerships. He said, I'm going to pay you full salary. You don't even have to come to work. I just want to be a part of the church you build. I mean, everything's going good. And this church, 
this church threw a monkey wrench in the spokes. <laughs> On my way home, they called, and what we thought was already going to be, it, it didn't happen. Anyway, I'm thrilled I'm here. I really am. Uh, you may not be, but I am. I'm thrilled. <laughs> we we kind of believe this is like heaven. Amen? Did you see my wife saying this? Yeah. She's scared I'm going to take her back to Port Arthur is what she's scared of. <laughs> <laughs> See, ain't no way that's going to happen. But anyway, while we were there uh, for a month in Colorado, I met with a couple of pastors, and we were in a motorhome, so I didn't have a way. I'd drop her off at the mall at Dillard's or something where she'd stay there. And I met with a couple of pastors that was going to sponsor the church. One of them, uh, I, I really was impressed. and He was a great pastor, shared his testimony. He started out, his church uh, was uh, started out with like, I don't know, under 20 people, I think 17, in his basement at his house. And I'm sitting there in his office now, and he's got a $60 million plant running 14000 And I'm saying, whoa, you know, this is a, a dream that's come true. This is, man, this is, God's in this. And he's going to help us start this church. And we talked with another guy, too, uh, there. <laughs> this particular guy, though, was a graduate of a leading seminary polished. He was warm. He had a great personality. He worked diligently as a young pastor. He's moved up. He's built this thing from scratch from 17 up to 14,000 there. Uh, he climbed the hills. He charted uh, ways that never were done. He advanced to senior pastor. He was a national director at that time of the National Evangel uh, uh, Evangelical Association. Had 30 million plus members of it. I mean, he was top dog. He was interviewed by Barbara Walters that year. He was a good friend of James Dobson. He was a highly sought-after speaker. And in 2005, he was listed as among the top 25 influential evangelicals in America. I mean, he was top shelf. And I was excited. And then we came here. Somewhere along the way. Well, I didn't mean that bad. I, I just, I, I'm excited here, don't you? Yeah, listen, I, I told the early crowd, they're, they're saying, you know, we need to build, we think about building a new auditorium. Well, that ain't going to happen with me. It's, you know, I'm too old. Brother Case may swing that deal. But I have been thinking about we could knock this wall out over here and expand this thing out that way. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, amen. There's one, Ron. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Somewhere in the midst of all of that growth, his church became monkey business from God business. And on November the 6th, 2006, the church that he started in his basement with 17 people threw him out, voted him out for behavior unbecoming of a pastor. Now, I won't bore you with the details it was bad and in my mind he's out he's not going to be used anymore now it happened again in 2009 but in 2010 he moved down the road a little ways went from being a southern baptist to being a methodist and started a new church i want to tell you if you could Remember the phrase, the wrong place at the wrong time? 
This guy was like it. This is the same thing that's happening here in 1 Kings chapter 15. You throw in the wrong person and the wrong reason with the wrong place and the wrong time, and you've got David and Bathsheba's story right there. It's like something out of a, a, a series on television. Bathsheba is a challenging woman because we don't know that much about her. We know very little about her. We don't know what she thinks or how she thinks. We don't know any of that. Nothing is ever done there. So let's just kind of look. We'll go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and that's the story of Bathsheba there. The Bible says in, in verse 1, it came to pass, well, uh, after the year was expired, uh, uh, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. There's a time here when David makes a bad decision. The Bible says that it comes a, it's a spring and the kings are going out to battle, and so David sent rather than carry himself. So David is tarrying in Jerusalem when in all reality he should have been on the battlefield. And if he'd have been on the battlefield where he was supposed to be, none of this would have ever happened. But he's not. He tarried still at Jerusalem. Our, the story here is right in the middle of war. Now, war was a little different back then than it is now. Uh, back then, the soldiers had to raise crops and had to grow crops and take care of everything so they could eat. So there came a time when the harvest, and when you're planting and the harvest, when they shut the war down, they just said, all right, everybody call it off. We're going back home. And they all went back home. Now it's the spring of the year, and they're going back to war. But David didn't go with them. David didn't go with them. Maybe your thing is that you're lingering somewhere where you don't have any business lingering. Maybe you're headed somewhere where you don't have any business being headed. I don't know what your thing is. Every one of us have a thing. A thing that God says, I'm not pleased with that. It's keeping the blessings of God from flowing like he wants them to flow. In verse 2, it came to pass at evening tide that David arose from off his bed. And he walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, if it would have been he saw a woman washing herself and it stopped, that would have been all right. But when he adds in the woman was very beautiful to look upon, he was staring at her. He, he said, let's just look at this a little bit longer. Now listen, she's not doing anything wrong. She's taking a bath at evening tide, which is what the custom said do. It's not high noon out there. She's not laying on top of a roof naked out there in the middle of the day. She's not doing that. She's at night when she's supposed to be. Now you've got to remember, Jerusalem is on a, is on a hill and, and, and Jerusalem is kind of like a piece of pizza. Uh, it, it's narrow down here on the bottom, and then it, it fans out. And the king's house is at the top of the hill. Nobody can look down on him, but he can look down on every person in the whole city. And so he's got the, uh, I don't know whether he did this every day. I mean, you know, maybe he'd gone out there. To, I always go out there to look to see what I can find. Hmm? Man, I hear, I hear people, oh, I'm not going to go to that party. Well, why are you asking about where it is then? Huh? And you, you, you know you don't need to go to this group over here, but after they meet, you, you get together and you want to know how everything went. I don't know what your thing is. 
His thing was, he was watching this woman, and it was beautiful to look upon she was. And then, before you know it, he's asking questions. Now, he says, who is this? And his guy tells him, that's Eliam's daughter. She, he's one of the uh, officers in David's army. That would have been enough. You do realize the Word of God says that there's no temptation that comes to man that he doesn't provide a way of escape for, huh? God, in the Old Testament, is trying to say, David, this is your way out right here, son. That's one of your officer's daughters. And then he next he comes and he said, well, it's not only an officer's daughter. That's uh, uh, Uriah. Why, that's David's closest friend. I mean, he was, he was in the, uh, like the Green Berets or the Navy Seals. There were like 30, 35 of them, 37, something like that. He was in that group there. He had been tight with David all his life. There's step two. He should have said, oh, that's Uriah's daughter, uh, son, a wife. I don't need to mess with her. But he didn't. The Bible says he pondered it, and he sent for her. He sent for her. All of it starts out when you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. Mm. And we want to tell our kids that. Kids, your parents always say, don't be nowhere you're not supposed to be. And they don't follow their own advice. It works for kids and it works for people also. Now, you say, well, what, what did Bathsheba have to do with this? And that's usually the men who ask that question. Because we don't like for David to take all the blame. But in the Near East, the women didn't have a right it, it, you say, well, she could have stopped. Well, she could have been killed. She could have done that. But he's the king. You don't say no to the king. W women didn't say no. You remember when Lot? Lot gave his three virgin daughters to a bunch of perverts to keep them from killing guests in his house. And we have no idea. They never said, oh, no, wait, we don't want to do this. We can't do that. They obeyed their daddy. That's what they're supposed to do. Michael, David's first wife, Saul gave Michael to David. And then he came and took her away from David, gave him to somebody else. And then David went back and got her and brought her back again. And nowhere in the word of God does she say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of going from place to place. So basically... What God is saying is, David, see, that's what he said in verse 27. He didn't say, but the thing that David and Bathsheba has done, nah, -uh. the thing David did displeased God. Mm. Regarding Bathsheba, she, she, I, I don't, we don't know her thoughts. We don't know anything about that. The question is, why in the world does he desire to go after another man's wife, especially when he finds out that it's one of his dearest friend's wives? Boy, don't you know that it got quiet in there when she said those three words, I am pregnant. Mm. See, for most folks, that'd be an exciting time. But boy, for David, it's not. It's not exciting at all. Then we move on, and he covers everything up, or he tries to. He sends a word to Joab. He said, send me uh, Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David there. He works hard. He's going to get him to, to go. You need some R&R, &R, Uriah. Go home with your wife, and y'all have a good time. Get some rest and everything, and it didn't work. He wouldn't go. Isn't it amazing 
that Uriah has more integrity and loyalty than David does. <laughs> so he says, well, then I'm going to get him drunk. I mean, you get somebody drunk. It can work both ways. I used to know a car dealer there in Corrigan. When he got drunk, he, he could take you to the cleaners selling a car. If he was sober, he would did all right, but he could really take you. I don't know. He got drunk, but you know what he said? He said, listen, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Strike two. You remember what happens the third time? He sends a letter to Joab. And in that letter, it is a death warrant for Uriah. Wow. What started out as just a few moments now is turned into murder. I, I still would wonder what Bathsheba knew. I don't know. As I study this here, I think that probably her innocence is, is probably a strong argument there uh, because it doesn't say Bathsheba anything displeased the Lord. It was David alone. But here's the good news this morning. The sins against us are not the end of the story. There is repentance. You can repent. If you're here this morning and you've got a thing, I don't know. It may be wearing clothes. You know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 mm, let me just delve in here. You, I wonder, I see some women dressed, and men too. I mean, it's the same thing. I thought, well, man, who ties your shoes in the morning? You leave house looking like that? It may be your clothes. It may be your music. It may be your faithfulness to God. I don't know. What is your thing? There are times that are dark. We don't see God. We don't feel his purpose in our pain. But I want to tell you, you can be assured he's always working. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us all of the time. And not only is the sin with us, but also it, it could be the sin that is against us. You ever had anybody just deal a big blow to you? Treat you unfair? Hmm? You see, I think maybe uh, Jesus, when he taught his disciples, they asked him to teach them how to pray. And remember, he prayed, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. It's amazing to me as a pastor that I see people who commit this sin and then they get redeemed and the church wraps their arms around them and, and they get back up and they're, and they're restored and they're going and they're serving the Lord and somebody else commits that same sin and they're ready to cut them off at the, at the hip. Stomp them while they're down. Let me just give you seven things, and I'm, I'm through. They'll be quick, I promise. Number one, if you're living in the past, you're dying in the present. I don't, I don't know why David stayed in Jerusalem. One of the reasons could have been he became complacent. He became complacent. 
He's, I mean, he's won more battles than anybody else. My soul, he's slain thousand for thousand. He, he battle after battle after battle. And I imagine maybe, I don't know, he said, you know, maybe I'm tired of sleeping on the ground. Maybe I'm tired of camp food. I'm not sure, but I've, I've, I've got all these battles behind us here. So I, I'm just going to kind of relax. I'm going to kind of relax. Grow complacent. You'll know when I resign this church. And I promise the Lord, if I ever get complacent, I'm out of here. I don't want to be complacent. I was up at 3 o'clock this morning praying, thinking, Lord, did we do right? Is this school really worth all of the effort? Is it really worth, I mean, good grief. It's been good, but I mean, I, man, I just need a reassurance. God, I mean, I, I, I got to know, God, did I miss this? Is this real? Is this, uh, what, what is the deal? Right over there, after the early service, a mama came with her young lady. She said she was in chapel this week, started asking questions, gave her life to Jesus. I want to tell you, God's blessed us with a lot of things in the past. And some of you older people have been here all these years. And you kind of said, you know, preacher, we've worked and we worked and we worked. Get out of the way and let some of these new ones take over. Because we ain't through working. We're not going to be through working until Jesus comes. I guarantee you. I don't know what's going to happen next. But I guarantee you we're not going to live in the past. I, the, if you were to ask me what is the greatest possible hindrance when I get to heaven... It's one scripture, and that is to whom much is given, much is required. Do we ever give enough? Do we ever do enough? Do we ever serve enough? Do we ever witness enough? My, my soul longs to see God glorified in this place. When you're living in the past, you're dying to the present and to the future. And then number two is when you're not doing your duty, you're in the way of temptation. See, I don't know what God's called you to do, but God's called everybody in here to do something. If you're a member of this church and you're sitting there just soaking and siring, God help you. That's not what God called you to do. We've got something to do. And when you're not doing what God told you to do and you're not doing it faithfully, what you do is you're opening yourself up for temptation. And the devil is there to tempt you. Number three... Satan attacks where passion is the strongest and principle is the weakest. I remember uh, back in 1987, I was at uh, the Baptist General Convention in Texas in Waco. There were like eight of us pastors went together in a van. Uh, we all had a good time except this one guy drove us crazy. Uh, and. He, he had to hog the microphone at the convention and he was hollering and he would run over here and he, they're, they're committing adultery, they're, they're sin. Blah, blah, blah. And I mean, we just sat there and just thought, good grief, if we ever get him out of our van, he never will come with us again. I mean, he had passion. He embarrassed me. Three weeks later, three weeks, he runs off with another lady in a leather coat on a motorcycle. He had passion. He didn't have a principle. 
Hey, you can't have one. You got to, it's, it's all together here. God's still God. We're still to live. The decision you make, it's a decision to live right. You didn't inherit it from your mama. You didn't inherit it from your grandparents. You made it, you're in this building today because you decided to be in this building. Or somebody decided for you. And they drug you here. I've seen a lot of people with drug problems. <laughs> you make the decision. Let me give you number four. If the sin is not resisted in the mind, the mind, it will be manifested in the body. Now, you already know the heart is deceitful above all things. But if, if your mind, if you don't have your mind made up of what you're going to do when you get in trouble and you get up to the time of decision and your decision is not already made, it's going to manifest itself in your body. I'll can be more specific because our children are at children's church. You young people, when you get in the back seat of a car, if you've not already made up your mind what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, you're in big trouble. You're in trouble. I'm just saying, if, if you say, well, we just fell into sin. No, you didn't fall into sin. It takes two people to fall into sin. If you've made up your mind that you're not going to, you can't. Because it takes two people to do that. Mm. Our mind. Somebody has said this. If you can be bought, Satan will pay the price. If you can be bought, Satan will pay the price. The sin of silence, number five, is just as significant as the sin of satisfaction. I don't like this. I didn't, I didn't sign on for this. Fifty years ago when I went into ministry, it's not like it was now. There was respect. There was authority. There was, you know, everything we're seeing in the world has now come into the church. And it's my job as a minister to speak out against sin. I know there are people that say, no, this pulpit don't need to be talking about abortion. It don't need to be talking about higher taxes and all of that stuff. That's hogwash. A man of God ought to speak out against the sin of the world, period. I mean, that's just the way it is. I would much rather this morning just have positive vibes and we all just sing kumbaya and hold hands and we can sway a little bit and everybody leaves here. Hey, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. There are folks who are telling us that. I'm telling you, if you've never come to Jesus by way of the cross through the blood of the Lamb, it's not all right. You're going to the great white throne judgment. And there's not a thing anybody can do about it. I, uh, I think in these last days that we're living, we're going to see more and more people come to their wit's end and say, I give up. And we'll have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I think in these last days, and I don't want to be ugly, but I'll just tell you right now, I'm, I'm 68, and I'll tell you right now, I ain't spending my time in no dead church. If the dude's dead, bury it and get out of it. I, I'm just telling you. Listen, the, the, the Spirit of God is more important. We got young families all over that are raising their kids in churches that are dead as Queen Anne. I think in these last days, 
We're going to see people who love God leave liberal churches to come to one who's going to teach and preach the Word of God. Now, you're going to be an antique. You're going to be alternative because there's not going to be very, very many people doing it. Let me give you this sixth thing. Your power of your example should always exceed your authority. What does that mean? It means you ought to strive to set an example in excellence. Do you know, you don't even know, some of you don't even know who your neighbors are. But I'll guarantee you, your neighbor knows when you drive out of your garage headed for church on Sunday. They know you go to church. And then they see you out there in the backyard hollering and screaming. There's somebody's dog wet in your flower bed. You just all bent out of shape. Oh, how I love Jesus. It's just that neighbor's dog and cat, man. That cat gets on top of my car. I better hush. When it's all said and done, number seven is this. Is God pleased? Is God pleased? Is there a thing in your life that you know good and well God would say, this is your thing. You've done great. You've loved me. You've been faithful. But I, this thing, this one thing that's kept me from really blessing you, this one thing. I wonder, I just got a few questions closing here. I wonder if it ever crossed Uriah's mind, Dr. Patty, if he was carrying his own death warrant. I wonder if that ever crossed his mind. I wonder if Uriah ever thought, hey, wonder why David summoned me from the battlefield. I mean, we're in a war over here. And he summoned me in. He's never done that before. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that something may be up. I wonder it was a common custom. I wonder if Uriah threw his big arms around David and hugged him as he got the letter. I, I, I wonder what was going on in David's mind as he saw his greatest warrior and his best friend ride off on his horse for the last time. Wow. The thing. Now here, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if David had any misgivings about it two or three hours later. You ever done that? You sinned, thought, oh my goodness, what did I do? God keeps perfect records. I don't want to end this thing on a bad note. I want to end it on a good note. Because I'm telling you right now today, if you've never trusted Christ and had a relationship with Christ, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're hearing the Word of God, if you would just humble yourself and follow the Holy Spirit, you can be saved today. Now, if you think you're going to come down and just make a decision and then leave and go back and live the same way you've always lived, I'll tell you just, well, stay in your seat. Because when Jesus comes in, it's going to make a change. It's going to be a change. Amen. Maybe you're here today, and you know what the thing is. The preacher don't need to know. Nobody else needs to know. You just need to come down here to this altar. And if you can't kneel, listen, I understand that. I knelt last night like I never got up. I, I understand that. Maybe just come down here and just stand and say, Lord... 
this thing has haunted me for years. And I want to get rid of it today. You think God's got enough power to do that? I do. I think he does. I think he wants to. Maybe then there's an invitation, you need a church home. This, this is, uh, unless I die today, you know, and Brother Case is going to follow in the same footsteps, or I'm going to come back and haunt him. This, this church is going to believe the Word of God, is going to teach the Word of God, is going to live by example of the Word of God. It's not a fling. We've been doing it 18 years here, going to continue to do it. Going to continue. In World War II, the airborne folk were going over in Sicily, an island off of Italy there. And it's dark, and you know, the island, is it, they would drop soldiers sometimes 90 miles away from where they were supposed to be. Uh, so the army come up with a new special group called the Pathfinders. And they were highly trained parachute troopers, and they would go in early, and they would parachute down, and then when the big group came, they would have lights and everything set up in different signals to let the planes know where to drop the people. That's exactly what we are today, folks. We're pathfinders. There's a lost and dying world out here all around us. They're hurting. They're depressed. They don't know which way to go next, what to do next. They're mixed up. And they need some pathfinders to light a light and show them the way. And I'm telling you this morning, based on what I know about this word, God didn't save you just so you could go to heaven. God saved you so you could lead other people to heaven also. It's our responsibility. It's a privilege. It's a privilege, but it's a responsibility. Father, we ask you today, Lord Jesus, would you speak to the hearts of men, women, young people, children in this place? God, the things that we have that we've covered up, Lord, we're going to have to give an account for them one day. I pray today this altar would be full of people that say, this is my thing, but I'm telling you, I want to get rid of it. I want God to help me, and I want to, I want to get rid of it. I want to start anew. I want to start fresh. And oh, God, I pray you'll sweep down on this place and do just what you promised you'd do. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Have your way in lives today. And we'll love you. We'll thank you. And we'll praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you